0: Bernard Fraser and welcome to the essence of cool on today's show we catch up with a veritable legend in Canadian music Carol Pope Carol has pushed the boundaries for women in music and for LGBTQ acceptance. Though much of her success was found in the 80s, with such chart-toppers as High School Confidential, All Touch, and Birds of a Feather, Carol has never stopped producing music. In the last 10 years, she has worked with the likes of Rufus Wainwright and Hoxley Workman, and had songs included in such TV hits as Queer as Folk and Transparent. I might also add that she very kindly contributed lead vocals to my own song, World's a Bitch. On that note, let's get started. Carol Pope, welcome to the Essence of Cool. Great to be here. When I announced that uh, you were going to be part of the program, I got such a flood of comments, uh, both privately and over social media. All the all these people who are in awe of you, love you, would give me, send me little anecdotes about the first time they heard a rough trade song, or the first time they saw you in concert, or. happenstance meetings in the street and how gracious and lovely you were. What is it like to be beloved that much?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's very flattering. Um, I didn't know I was that beloved. Um, because some people despise me, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, it's great. I mean, it's great to be recognized for, you know, uh, my work and for Rough Trade and all of that.
0: I mean, you are, I call you a trailblazer. I mean, you open doors for women in music, for the LGBTQ artists. Uh, you've been fighting the good fight for like 45 years. Do you call yourself a trailblazer?
1: Uh, yeah, I I think I am. I mean, I think Rough Trade was, you know, ahead of its time, and I'm still, I'm still pissed off at everybody. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm always going to be vocal about it, and I'm always going to be political, and, uh, you know, there's just, things have changed, but in a lot of ways, they haven't,
0: you know. Yeah. E- High School Confidential was inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yes. How did you feel about that?
1: Uh, uh, Well, Kevin and I were both both thrilled to be recognized, um, you know, especially for our songwriting. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, we were very happy and honored to uh,
0: be recognized that way. I just want to read a little quote from Vanessa Thomas of uh, the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. She said that um, high school confidential was groundbreaking in so many ways, empowering a generation to express love and sexual desire, no matter what orientation and turning the tables for women to sing about sex in a way that only men were allowed at the time. How bad was it for women in the late seventies, early eighties in music?
1: Um, well, there weren't any, you know. I mean, I think there was, you know, me and Patty Smith and Blondie, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was hard for women, and and um, I, because I was so androgynous and, and kind of threatening, um, that made it a little bit difficult for us in the business. But people, people were looking for something like
0: that, you know. Oh, absolutely! I remember being—I believe it was the university, either University of Guelph or Western University—at one of the pubs there uh, and watching a performance. This probably would have been in 1976, and it was your show was unlike anything I had ever seen up to—I think the first time I saw the Tubes. Your persona, the songs—I mean, there's such sensuality, um, I mean, it was such a sexy show, but also, I mean, there was some S&M there that was a little bit threatening, but that was sort of exciting.
1: <laughs> um, well, I mean, I always, you know, I, I mean, people, human sexuality is so crazy, and people are so screwed up sexually uh, still. I mean,
0: um, <laughs>
1: And and to us, it was like this is a parody. This is a sexual parody, not really a turn on, but it kind of was a turn on. And people interpreted that in many different ways, which I loved. Um, But yeah, yeah. I I guess I was I whipping anybody in the audience then, or had I stopped? I don't know. I know I did
0: that at the. I think I remember that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was just fun to just be out there and um do whatever, you know, because we're not answering to anybody.
0: But it was still a really difficult time. We're talking 7576, it was not easy being out, was it?
1: Uh no, but I was just out.
0: Yeah, yes you were.
1: <laughs> I didn't say anything about it. I'm just like, oh, I don't you know, do my thing and people are gonna love it or hate it. And that's always been my, my philosophy.
0: What would you say is the highlight of your rough trade years?
1: Uh, I think the early days doing gigs in New York. Um, and then definitely doing that little tour with Bowie.
0: Um, Tell me about that, because I saw, and I don't know where in... That stretch, the Toronto gig landed. Whether it was the the kickoff or, or I guess you kicked off in Montreal or something, did you? No, it, the kickoff was in Toronto. It was in Toronto. Yeah. How, what? How exciting was that?
1: It was insanely exciting. Um, because it's like we had to prove that we were kind of prove ourselves to Bowie, and he was like on stage watching from the sidelines, and um. He obviously liked it, and then we did more dates with him, and then I uh, I watched him from the sidelines, and he came over and hugged me, and we <laughs> gossiped a little. He was very gossipy. He knew gossip about me, but it was kind of the wrong gossip. Um so I had to correct him, and, <laughs> and we hugged. And he was so he was such a skinny, slight person, and so you know, incredibly sweet person.
0: What would you say you? Because I think in 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 past interviews you said that uh, he was somebody that even before you you performed with him that you had looked up to. What did you take from him as an artist?
1: Well, just seeing him. Live, you know, I saw, I forget what the first show was. I think the first time I saw him was the Lowe tour. He was the Thin White
0: Duke, kind of. Oh, that was the seventy. So that was the Station to Station concert in 76.
1: Okay, yeah. So I saw that, and I saw Lowe. Um, what else did I see? Oh, my God, I can't remember. I did you somebody. see him
0: with Iggy at Seneca Fieldhouse? No. Oh, man. That was a hell of a gig. I've heard that. My friend Aaron Badgley of the, the Spill magazine from Toronto uh, wanted to know how you ended up on True North Records, considering that True North at the time was really more of a folk label.
1: Um, well, the only other people who were interested in us was Super Tramp, had a label, and I don't know why exactly why we didn't go with them.
0: Yeah. Um, maybe.
1: Maybe we had a feeling it was going to be short-lived, but we knew Bernie Finkelstein from, you know, back in the day. Right. And um, they may have been a folk label, but they had some innovative bands, you know, like uh, 60s bands like the Poppers and Kensington Market, who I worship, who was, like, way ahead of their time. and. Right. You know, we just had a relationship with Bernie. Both Bernies, actually. Bernie Fiedler, too.
0: We talked a little bit about sort of the state of music in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, fast forward to 2021. Has the music industry in Canada really changed much? Uh,
1: you know, I, can't, I don't know what to say. Well, I mean, I think... In the '70s and '80s, maybe artists were more supportive of each other. And then I don't know because I moved away in 1989, so I don't know what to say. And I don't know a lot of the bands. Uh, but some, you know, I mean, I just think some amazing, innovative musicians have come out of Canada. And there's something about, there's something about this place that, uh, you know, creates these these brilliant artists. You know who. Like, I want to say, you know, like Mary Margaret O'Hara and Peaches and Broken Social Scene and Feist and just um, amazing, innovative people. Yeah. Has CanCon helped? Uh, They're not helping me now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a very select few they're helping right now, unfortunately.
1: It's like, I'm actually outraged that I can't get a freaking factor grant. I mean, I'm just insulted. I mean... You know, I mean, Rough Trade sold a lot of records. We still get a ton of airplay. Um, some of my stuff's gotten airplay, but I you know. I'm I just have my own label. I don't. You know, it's like I can't afford to hire a PR person. Mm. It's just like it's a struggle. And I think, I think there's they're ageist for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was like 21 and sang like had a. <laughs> I my mean, this wimpy voice, I'd probably be doing better. I don't
0: know. Uh, as much as the band, the Bandcamp generation is kind of a godsend for us independent artists, it's Not still. for me,
1: because I don't sell anything on there.
0: Right. <laughs> Spotify, is that helping you or hindering you?
1: Uh, I think it's
0: helping a little bit,
1: but, you know, I mean, we just can't make any money, and especially now with COVID, because I make most of my money from. Performing live, and now like a big chunk of my income is gone, and uh, you know what do you get like two cents for a million streams or something? I don't know. Um,
0: maybe. <laughs> yeah, but you're. I mean, even though um, twenty twenty laid waste to your live gigs, uh, you have not let the grass grow under your feet you have been working on a new musical can you tell us about attitude
1: oh attitude uh i've been working on that a few years with my friend kate rig in new york who wrote the book it's based on my brother's life my brother was this brilliant amazing sweet man who was in a band in new york called Zet in the 80s um who were like performance art new wave insanity um, and he was also a member of uh, Act Up. Uh, and so I write about that time in New York and the whole scene. And, uh, and unfortunately, he got AIDS and passed away. Um, but that was an amazing scene. And it's mostly rough trade music and some of my solo stuff. Um, and, yeah, we're trying to raise money to... Well, we are doing workshops, but it's like it's crazy expensive to get a musical going, it costs a million dollars. Even if it's a cheap-ass musical, it costs a million dollars. So, we've done some read-throughs, which is just like, if people don't understand, you know, theater talk, it's just reading the script. uh, A virtual read-through, and the next one we're doing is a sing-through read-through, so there's going to be you know, the music as well. So I can't wait to do that one.
0: So how can people help you out with that?
1: uh, You can go to Carol Pope, GoFundMe. I don't have the, I mean, there's a link, but I don't know what it is offhand.
0: We'll make sure to post that with the uh, podcast.
1: And we also are giving, uh, for anybody who donates $250, which I know is a lot, um, we are, Give prizes at that level. I mean, I'm give uh, people signed lyric cards, handwritten lyric cards, and then uh, this would be autographed, rare, rough trade photographs, and T-shirts, oh. and access to the workshops, and um, you know, if you really want to throw a lot of money, we'll, <laughs> g- we'll give you. You know, like a thousand dollars gives you a an angel credit and access to all the workshops and all the parties and you know, because we're hoping to go start doing this live this year, at the end of this year
0: Let's cross our fingers that that happens, and I think there's a link to your GoFundMe page on com, if I'm not mistaken uh, Yeah, there is, yeah On that note, um, we're going to end this section and we're going to take a break, and when we come back we're going to jump into the first of your two selected artists Kate Bush So stick with us, we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to The Essence of Cool. As an independent podcast, we rely wholly and completely on supportive listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please help keep us on the air and throw a few bucks in our electronic tip jar. You can find it on the front page of our website, theessenceofcool.com. We truly appreciate your help. Now let's get back to the show. All right, we're back with Carol Pope. On the essence of cool, we're going to talk about uh, the first of your two selections. But before we get there, uh, keeping with the theme, the essence of cool, uh, what is your definition of cool? So when you talk about an artist, you mention an artist is cool. What is it about them that is cool?
1: Uh, their music, their persona. Um, what they're saying, possibly how they dress. Well, yeah, that's part of it. <laughs>
0: um, their style. We've pre-recorded um, a number of segments thus far, and. Um, Across the the various guests that I've had on, we've come up with a number of different definitions of cool. And I just wonder if any of these resonate with you. Um, Somebody said that great talent, it's great talent surrounded by a shell of great stubbornness. Um, Cool can also be defined as uncompromising, uh, an artist that doesn't care what the critics or fans think someone who pushes the boundaries always does the unexpected and often ever changing. Do those ring true as well for you?
1: Absolutely.
0: So that with that, then let's, uh, let's jump into Kate Bush who I think fits all of those definitions.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, she's always pushed the boundaries. Um, She's brilliant. Um, Her songs move me so much. You know, I will just, like, obsess on something of hers and play it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any of my vinyl in front of me, sadly. Um,
0: (laughs) So I I distinctly remember being at my friend's house in 1978, and she had just uh, purchased the uh, the, The Kick Inside. Right. And she put it, I had not heard of this woman before. She put it on and out comes the voice of an angel uh, with music that was different from anything I had experienced up to that point. Do you remember the first time you heard Kate Bush?
1: Um, I don't
0: remember. I think I probably
1: heard Babushka or something like that or, but yeah, something from that album. But I, really fell in love with her, uh, oh, no, what's the name of that album? Oh, The Dreaming. Right, The Dreaming. Oh, yeah, I like so many of the tracks, like, Sat in Your Lap, Pull on the Pin, Suspended in Gaffa, Houdini. I would just play them over and over and over and sing along, and I'm like, I'd like to cover one of these songs, but I can't really. <laughs> Did you ever? Your lap because it's so insane. Yeah.
0: Did you ever cover a Kate Bush song?
1: No. Even I know. Life? No, I don't normally cover other people's music because I'm like, I can't do it justice. Because I usually like something that's so brilliant. I'm like, I will never, you know, I can't make this any better.
0: What do you think it was about her music or her persona or both that resonated so much?
1: Um, Just, you know, watching her perform, uh, the choreography, the videos, um the sensitivity uh the lyrics very i like very visual lyrics Mm. so i can i like because i when i think of music i just see it i see colors or i see visions and so that appeals to me
0: yeah i think about the year that this that the first album was released 1978 Um, I mean, she hit the ground running. It went platinum in the UK and Canada and Australia, um, gold pretty much everywhere else, spawned huge hits like Wuthering Heights. But for context, in 1978 radio is sort of infused with bgs uh, and a slew of other disco hits um rolling stones miss you ruled the airwaves uh, we had eric clapton's lay down sally hot-blooded by foreigner her music was so different how did it catch on in a time where you know we there was a lot of schlock out there
1: <laughs> i don't know i mean because obviously people were looking for something different and her, her sound is so unique that, you know, I'm sure it just captured a lot of people, um, you know. And she was a woman. That was unusual. Not that many female artists then.
0: Well, speaking of being a woman, um, it was, and as you had uh, mentioned um, in the previous segment, there weren't a lot of uh, female artists at that level around that time
1: I think well Joni Mitchell I think was releasing, releasing
0: that's music. true yeah
1: um I mean, yeah well I don't know I, I just the 70s like I just wanted to kill myself in the first part of the 70s because I hated the music and I hated everything about it and then <laughs> and then we started playing and then you know punk and all that and then I was like yes <laughs> Because disco was killing me. Although I did like early early disco, because of the, like the R and B ness of it. But then it got all homogenized, and right, That's just like, kill me
0: now. How would you
1: describe
0: Kate's style?
1: Um, ethereal, otherworldly, hmm, kind of cosmic. You know, so like a song like "Hello Earth." I mean, that's you, you can just get lost in her music, which I think. A, is very appealing.
0: What about her music? Do you take and add to your own? what What resonates with you? That uh, as an artist, I should say.
1: I like the dreaminess of her music, the the dreaminess of her lyrics, the sensuality. Um, I love that she worked with Vox Bulgaria, and I've tried to. Uh, I've written some music where I've tried to incorporate that kind of singing. Um, So, you know, I think it's, she's helped me evolve as an artist and
0: reach out, uh, stretch out more. So she had six albums, I guess, between 78 and 89 and all of them, except for maybe one album, I think think it was the one you just mentioned, the dreaming, Uh, all of them went gold or platinum, except for perhaps for that one. Um, But her, output starts to wane after that. And there's been a lot of cheesy talk, uh, by so-called music journalists about, you know, not having another, uh, Kate Bush album. Is it important for an artist to keep pumping out material?
1: I don't think so. Not if you don't have anything to say, really. Um, yeah. Why would you? I mean, if you're not inspired, why would you do it? Mm. Uh, I really love the song that she did with Prince. Um, why Should I Love You? I love that song.
0: Oh, you know what? I don't think I have heard that, and I, I'm ashamed to say. What was that like, a fusion of, uh, uh, because Kate Bush is in a completely uh, separate musical world from Prince, but the fusion of those two must must be glorious.
1: It is, it is. I mean, I love Prince. I saw Prince once, and it just blew my mind. Wow. Um so yeah, why can't two geniuses like that get together and create something? I mean, I wish they'd done more.
0: But what would you say is her biggest contribution to music?:
1: Well, I think she kind of paved the way for like Tori Amos and who I didn't really like at first, but now I like. Um, yeah, I think she's just inspired a lot of uh, artists. I, I think she you know, Jane Siberryy's certainly inspired by Kate Bush. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are. Mm. Anybody who's kind of good is...
0: (laughs) (laughs) And she started producing her own albums around, I guess it was also with The Dreaming in 1982. And it was pretty much from that point forward, produced or co-produced all of her albums.
1: Yeah, and the production was just amazing. And yeah, I love, you know, I love that big sound. I love Uh, what she did, all the vocals, the background vocals and the male vocals. Just interesting, interesting, layered, multi-leveled work Mm. that you can get lost in, as I keep saying. I like to get lost.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, what I find interesting is in the same year that she started producing uh, The Dreaming, you were uh, a co-producer on Shaking the Foundation. Coincidence? Coincidence.
1: No, I mean, you know, I certainly had, I I didn't get producer credit for (laughs) all the Rough Trade albums, but I certainly was very vocal about what I liked, you know. Um, But yeah, that was, I was like, I need a credit, I'm producing.
0: (laughs) Well, when your opinion affects the the net result, that's producing, right?
1: Exactly, that is producing.
0: One last question before we take a break and come back and talk about Bjork. Um, how is Kate Bush the essence of cool? What is it about her that represents cool?
1: Well, she's innovative. There's nobody else like her groundbreaking, um, fantastic voice. Um, you know, the way she moves, the way she moves when she performs, you know, just a completely innovative artist as far as I'm concerned.
0: How did you feel about 50 words for snow?
1: I don't have that album, so for some reason I should have
0: it. I'll send you my copy. Um, I got it for um, birthday um, around that time, and it's a gorgeous album. But it is really different, and I have to be honest: is it? Uh, it was really challenging me for me to get into and sort of wrap myself in. Um, and, you know, I think that the best artists should be challenging their listeners. Um, but how, so how do you feel about that when people are pushing the envelope so much? And I guess, you know, one could make the same um, comment about when Bowie released Low. It was not, for, in some respects, not the easiest album to get into.
1: No, but once you do, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. I mean, it's up to the listener to. You know, give the artist a a chance and see where they're going and, you know, go along for the ride. I mean, Mm. it's not rocket science.
0: No, but true. And I have to be honest that, uh, you know, I first listened to Lowe and uh, loved a couple of the tracks on the first side. But the second side, it was, you know, what the heck is he doing? and but i would push myself to listen to a little bit you know every other day and the more i got into it the more i, I understood its its majesty and its beauty and uh, what you know why it was so groundbreaking
1: yeah and i, I mean i love you know so much i got into it right away I mean, we were lucky enough to open for roxy music and what? In the olden, ye olden days. When we first started out, we opened for Roxy Music, and I got to, you know, we got to hear, see Eno, meet Eno. and uh, But I think we cared more about Eno and Chris Spedding than Brian Ferry,
0: but whatever. <laughs> Which I think was part of the reason Eno left, because Mr. Ferry was getting a little upset that Eno was getting all the attention yeah. and he wasn't.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's brilliant, yeah.
0: Just give me some context there. What year would that have been and where?
1: Oh, my God. Where was that? Was it Massey Hall? I can't even remember where it was. Uh, I was in shock for the whole thing. So I'm thinking it was Massey Hall. I'm guessing it was Massey Hall, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, wow. I don't know how we got asked to do that gig. Um, but, yeah, we were like, I think we were all like, Kevin and I were like, what? I can't believe we're doing this. Um, oh, incredible.
0: Incredible.
1: And, yeah, and just an amazing experience to see Roxy Music. And we opened for a lot of people. We opened for all these people, and then it became way more famous than us. It was, like, really annoying. But not (laughs) Roxy. They were already already famous. Like, we opened for R.E.M., you know. No, R.E.M. Sorry, R.E.M. opened for us once, and then, you know. What?
0: Yeah. Where and when was that? Uh,
1: Danseteria in, I'm going to say, 1982 or 83 in New York.
0: In New York? Yeah. Uh, The very place where Madonna stole your crotch rub.
1: That's exactly right.
0: (laughs) Do you get any royalties for that?
1: (laughs) No, she's never going to. Well, Madonna just steals from everybody.
0: Yeah. Well, all the great artists.
1: I don't know about now. I don't know what's now looks like really scary. I don't know what's going on.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was just going to say, I saw one Roxy Music show. Thank God I saw them. I didn't see them with Eno, but it was also Massey Hall. And I think it was for, it was pre-Avalon. I think it might've been the Manifesto tour. Right. But what a great bloody band! I remember Brian. Uh, I remember Brian Ferry standing uh, center stage, sing. I don't know. Don't know what song he was singing, singing uh, a song. His piano, his electric piano, was off stage. Right, um, he was. He realized. I don't know if this is staged or just. It, really happened, realized that he was up for a piano solo, raced to the piano on the opposite side of the keyboard, started playing the solo, and then raced around to sit down and finish the solo. That's a showman. (laughs) On that note, uh, let's take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about Björk. We'll be right back. We wanna hear from you. Let us know what you liked and even what you didn't like. Have you got a show or guest idea? Well drop us a line. Our email addy is info at the essence of cool.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. We're back with Carol Pope on The Essence of Cool. We've talked about Kate Bush. We're gonna talk about another um, incredible artist and certainly another trailblazer, uh Bjork, or as she says, Bjork. So we can use either or I guess.
1: <laughs> I'm calling her Bjork because I'm used to it.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, she had now she had a couple of albums i think two sugar cubes albums out before i'd even heard of her on toronto airwaves where i was as i was listening to cfny uh back in the day and i think the first song i hit was off the third album uh it was the the song hit do you remember where you first heard her um i i was in toronto too so and what was it that you had heard was it sugar cubes or was she in their solo phase at that point
1: Uh, Sugar Cubes and then Debut which I don't own so I don't know what's on it (laughs) 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 and then I totally got I really got into her in the 90s I was obsessed with her I had sex to her music (laughs) Um, I saw her live first time I saw her live was in Brooklyn in um, a baseball field with my friend Whitman Janet Whitman um It was amazing. We were just dancing. And then I saw her
0: at Coachella. Tell me about that.
1: That Coachella, that was in 2007, and she had the Icelandic um, lady horn section, singer, choir, extravaganza, and all these percussionists and a guy that was triggering beats, um, but they would show you on a little screen how they're being uh, triggered because it was... Like a bunch of boxes talking to each other, and there was flags, and uh, it was just she's just an amazing performer. She's like, so full of energy, and and you know she doesn't talk that much, but when she does, you're like yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it sounds like they were probably doing a lot of uh, a lot of the songs from Medulla, uh, which was the more the the vocal. It was all voice, right?
1: No, they did everything They did
0: all her they albums. Did. So, what, what was it about her or her music that excited you?
1: Uh, another very innovative artist, um, you know, especially using beats and vocals and the lyrics. The lyrics I love, um, and it's something that I play over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never get tired of great songs. You know, just like human behavior and oh god, yeah. Um,
0: I army love of, army of, army of me. Me.
1: yeah. Um, I love ball of yarn for some reason. Um, yeah, and just that she's certainly breaks barriers all the time. And I love the album which I have done it. in front of me that was uh, mouth percussion, all vocals, medulla, yeah. Oh, that was medulla, right? Yeah, okay,
0: yeah. yeah. Now she seems to defy categorization, although everyone tries to put a label on her. And let me just read this here. It's it's been described as electronic dance, alternative dance, trip-hop, experimental, glitch, jazz, alt-rock, instrumental, contemporary classical. But she says, I make pop music that everyone can relate to. Would you call what
1: she does pop? I would get, well, it's catchy. A lot of it is very catchy. So, yeah, I would certainly say there's elements of that, but it's so experimental in so many ways. and
0: right. um, Yeah, but it's very joyous for the most part. Interesting you say that because of one of the things I was thinking about is that she seems to be equal parts profoundly joyous and desperately sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think she's just singing about her love life. But, you know, Matthew Barney, I don't know. I don't know. Just stabbed me in the eyeball.
0: The album, I think you may be referring to, is Volnakura, which was from 2015, where she kind of opened up uh, about her heartbreak because they had broken up. Yeah. Yeah. When I was thinking about that, uh, uh, it was through the lens of every Bjork album being Well, save her debut and post, every album being almost completely different from the last. Yeah. Do you find that?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: It's as if she is introducing us to these brand new genres.
1: First and foremost, she's an artist and, you know, she's a musician, but she's insanely innovative and is always going to do something new. well always looking for... You know, evolving, evolving. She's always evolving as an artist. And you notice that more with her than a lot of people who are kind of stuck in the same rut, you know.
0: Go back to the discussion we had in the last segment about Bowie and, you know, him introducing something brand new and so different that, you know, it really does challenge, challenge the listener. Is that a good thing or a bad thing when you're I mean, thinking about her and every album being so different? She's she, she is challenging the listener at every step.
1: Yeah, I do think that's a good thing? I mean, I mean, it's great that she's pushing the boundaries and kind of opening things up and exploring uh, you know, cuz she's a, a, a multi I mean, she's a multimedia artist because of you know, video and what she wears and musically and Everything. She's just like the most artistic of a lot of people that I can think of, you know, musicians. Oh, yeah. She's she's just everywhere. She's She's got it all going on.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about uh, the multimedia aspect of her work in, in a second, but I first want to talk about her voice. I mean, she is so adept, adept I should say, at changing and articulating her voice it can you know in some in one moment it can be incredibly childlike another moment it can be you know uh, screams of desperation others can be you know the soulful voice what is it about her voice that resonates with you
1: just that it, that she can do all that she can be like passionate or childlike or gut-wrenching and you know, it just moves me. I want to be moved by music and she's one of the artists that that does that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can get lost in in her music and every time you listen to it, you get something else out of it. But you can dance to it. Yeah. (laughs) I thought because I was watching the Coachella thing yesterday and I was like dancing around going, oh my God, this is so great. And I remember just watching her and uh, being so, you know, I don't normally dance to people that I see live. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you just have to move. I mean, you just you can't help but move.
0: Well, it's so infectious, right? Yeah. Um, she is also one who likes to collaborate with disparate people. Uh, on one, uh, on Medulla, we we're talking about Medulla. She's working with um, uh, an Icelandic choir as well as working with a hip hop artist for vocal beats, as well as working with Mike Patton from Faith No More, and working with Tanya Tagach, our own Tanya Tagach, the throat singer. Uh, Incredible. Talk to me about working, uh, collaborating with people and and how that changes your art and how that uh, levels up your art. Um, Well, you know,
1: they. Working with somebody who doesn't exactly do what you do, you know, enables you to grow as an artist and push the boundaries. And um, I haven't collaborated with that many people, but, you know, I wish I could do more. Uh, you know, I did this crazy song with Peaches. Kevin and I worked with Nona Hendricks. You know, I think we co-wrote her biggest hit, Transformation. Um, but, yeah, it helps you. I I love collaborating with people because... You know, if they're going to make me do something that I don't normally do and I'm going to get to push myself and grow as an artist, that's that's why you do it normally.
0: And she seems to have, maybe not fully realized, but she seems to have a grand vision for each album. They seem to be fairly plotted out. She knows the direction she's going to take uh, each album. And uh, what's the value in painting that picture or sort of creating that uh, that flow chart for an album as opposed to going in and letting it hit you from on more of a gut level
1: well i don't i mean i think it does hit you on a gut level but she's kind of created creating a work of art so that you can immerse yourself in um yes you know you want to hear you want to listen to the whole album you're not like I'm going to play the hits on this album. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to immerse yourself in her music and the visuals. And I, I also saw the show at MoMA, but can, it was like completely sold out. So only saw part of it. Do you know right. about that?
0: I, I heard about it. Retrospective. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But yeah, I love. I just love the way she pushes boundaries and she's a goddess.
0: <laughs> she Indeed she is. Is there um, a specific album or specific phase in her career that you sort of appreciate more over, over the others or?
1: I don't know. I miss you, but I haven't met you yet. I mean, I, I, I get that. I get that feeling, you know, some intangible thing that you want that you don't have. Um, that's That's what it is to me, yeah.
0: so these are often I mean she's often talking about relatable topics, but she does it in a way that is so different from everyone else,
1: yeah, yeah, and i've actually we actually played in Iceland, and uh, it's such a magic place um, and I asked the audience where her house was so I could stalk her, but. <laughs> they <didn't tell> me. <laughs>
0: Now, she talks about uh, Iceland being a, a very important uh Part of her songwriting, the it's the the starkness of the landscape. She says, uh, not only affects her, but affects most Icelandic artists. There's um, there's something about that. She was mentioning being in. I think she went on a um, a trip to Finland as a as a kid with her uncle, and they were on a train, and the train was going up through the mountains. But the uncle couldn't see the mountains because there were so many trees, and there were so many trees. He felt claustrophobic because he was used to the starkness of the Iceland landscape.
1: Wow, yeah, yeah, it is a very stark landscape, and they believe in elves and gnomes and things, and
0: <laughs>
1: I like that about them, um, yeah, they're very unusual, cool people. Yeah. Um, uh, I also like Sigur Ross and I, oh yeah. um, who I saw at the Hollywood bowl um, oh, wow. amazing but and I put this, and I saw some film documentary about Icelandic metal bands (laughs) I I don't normally like metal but it was really innovative and crazy Uh, but yeah I mean I think uh, it's kind of nature the nature that you know I mean there's uh, glaciers, there's waterfalls uh, there's volcanoes there's those little Icelandic ponies I mean, you know, I mean, I, I would think that's very in- inspirational.
0: Well, yeah, She says it's a very young, uh, uh, sort of geologically speaking, um, and therefore it doesn't have a lot of the flora or fauna. Uh, there aren't a lot of animals save for, you know, a couple of small ponies. <laughs> the small pony.
1: And, the elves.
0: <laughs> and there isn't a lot of vegetation there. I mean, there aren't yeah. many trees. Um, it's and it's a very rugged landscape. So I mean, how can something like that not inspire you to write?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's very beautiful. It's dark and beautiful. Yeah. A bunch of crazy people
0: <laughs> who enjoy their beverages.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: She says she doesn't seem she doesn't care about fame, doesn't care about money or the accolades. In fact, she really doesn't like the accolades. She doesn't like when people call her out. You know, as I, I, I introduced you as the legendary Carol Pope, she would freak out if you called her that. Well, not that you would call her Carol Pope, but um, she would Ooh, freak yeah, it's out. It's
1: all the pressure. It's pressure.
0: How difficult is it to sort of maintain or stay true to your artistry when you find yourself in the middle of all of that? I mean, I think, you know, back in 1980, when, um, when High School Confidential went crazy, um, you must have been inundated with everything, all of the uh, excesses. How difficult is it to maintain your artistry when you're in in the midst of all of that?
1: Um. Well, I think there's always that drive to create, and all of that was great, and I kind of got sucked into it, but I also just wanted to, you know, grow as an artist and create something else and, and, you know, Mm. just keep doing, uh, making innovative music. Kevin and I were both into that, so...
0: And who were, you, who were you listening to back in the day? I'm sorry to deviate from the, the conversation about Bjork for a second, but just as I think of it, who were you listening to that was inspiring you So in the late 70s, early 80s? I
1: guess Eno, you know, Talking Heads. There was a lot of 80s bands that were like one-hit wonders. <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, oh, Japan. I love Japan. Oh.
0: Now, earlier Japan or synth-pop Japan? They seem to have a, a sort of a distinct change after... So the first two albums, uh, Obscure Alternatives with the second one, which I just adored. And then um, they started getting into more synthy sounds after that. I
1: love the synth-y sounds because I didn't have that first one.
0: Were uh, you a fan of early Ultravox, the John Fox Ultravox? Oh,
1: yeah, of course. Yeah, I saw Ultravox at the edge and, and also John Fox. I love that band. Yeah. I love the slits.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Were you paying attention to the, any of the Toronto punk at the time? I'm thinking '77, early '78, and Vial Tones, The Ugly, the Diodes, etc.
1: And then, yeah, I knew the Diodes and uh, the Dishes and the b Girls. Right. Marsh and the Muffins.
0: Of course. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's some some great bands. So definitely pay attention, okay. hung out with them.
0: And did that music inspire or affect your own?
1: Not really. I just appreciated what they did, but I, um, I think I was more inspired by I don't know what I was inspired by. I, you know, I was more inspired by great literature than than oh. because I'm a lyricist. Right. So when um, I started reading. I remember being a little kid and reading, like, six books a week, like, under the uh, bed covers of the flashlight. So oh, wow. I just left the beauty of words, and that was, I think, that led me to start making music.
0: Let's say, first of all, the fa- your favorite book. Oh, my God, I can't pick a favorite book. <laughs> your favorite five books.
1: <laughs> I was very influenced by... Um, stuff like The Story of How and the Marquis Sod and um, oh, wow. William Burroughs and Sylvia Plath definitely Sylvia Plath and um, Violet LeDuc who was um, just a tragic lesbian writer um, who, uh, filled with self-loathing um, and a lot of feminist books that came out in the 70s uh, and Sappho was a write-on woman that was a I just like that title. I can't remember the book,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I can certainly see something like Burroughs' Naked Lunch uh, uh, impacting you and uh, affecting you know lyrics.
1: Yeah, um, I because I because I was in Toronto and I was like always imagining I was elsewhere because I never wanted to be here. Right. Um, so I
0: would
1: just say. Uh, you know, imagine... Well, But fortunately, we did go to New York a lot. We performed there a lot. Uh, but I hadn't been to Europe yet. So it was like, I'm going to pretend I've been there. And I know what I'm writing about. I know what I'm talking about. But I was totally faking it. <laughs> but New York definitely had an influence on me. And knowing a lot of people... The whole scene in Toronto was like very New York, London, Toronto. And it was just a bunch of really fascinating people in, in all all the art forms.
0: Um, earlier, we talked a little bit about um, video of multimedia. And I think about Bjork um, and some of the videos that she's created, particularly some of the more recent videos. And... It's as if she's taking, she's using the video as an art form unto itself as almost separate from the music, not using it as a promotional vehicle as, you know, most people do, but just using it to create incredible art.
1: Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's
0: just art for art's sake. What role should videos play in modern music making? and the promotion thereof?
1: I don't... I, you know, I haven't really been a big fan of videos because, you know, you're kind of forced to watch MTV and much music, and then I kind of stopped watching, but, yeah, uh, you know, but now I go on YouTube because I like a song, and then I see this video, and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But yeah, it definitely helps promote your work, and it's great to see something that really pushes the boundaries. But there's a lot of stuff that I really... I'm like, really? <laughs> it's so mundane, or I've, you know, I've seen those tricks a million times, and I kind of lose interest. I like, I really like live performance videos because then you can see if the person can really sing or not,
0: Right.
1: if they can really bring it. <laughs>
0: But the videos that you have created in the past, was that a a process that you enjoyed? Did you get much uh, say in terms of the development of videos?
1: Um, We didn't get that much support or money to do those things. So I was like, oh, I guess we have to do them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, It's never been my favorite thing to do and I'd rather not be in them but (laughs) (laughs) but I had really had fun doing uh, the high school confidential video with the bare naked ladies
0: that was so much fun
1: yeah Yeah. Um, because um, Edward Pond who directed it just made me walk in the street and I'm like oh my god it's so much easier to be singing and walking instead of like pretending to dance (laughs) or you know or just I don't, you don't know what to do with yourself. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Ned had you done that uh, after COVID started? When was that done? Yeah, that was in the middle of COVID. Yeah, and what was, was that good. like to be shooting something like that and wandering the streets with this sort of, you know, was the spectre hanging around your neck? So yeah. we
1: did it. <laughs> it was pretty horrifying, so we did it really quickly. Okay. I mean, yeah, I've, you know, I I've, I've been in recording studios and whatnot. Uh, Well, during the pandemic, and I'm just like, oh, I want to do it fast. I want to get out. Well, I just worked with you. So it's like, so that's why I'm like, I have to get a microphone. I have to stay at home. I don't want to feel that extra pressure. Um, Yeah, because it's scary. I mean, especially now with that uh, COVID that's really spreading the new form.
0: Yeah, although thankfully they say that the um, the vaccines will cover both, and that uh, the new form isn't uh, deadlier than the the first, which is no. But
1: I just, where is the vaccine? Where is my vaccine? I keep wanting about it on social media. Yeah,
0: and rightly so, as in as you straightened me out uh, last week when we were recording that uh, you know I didn't realize that uh, certain pol- politicians were um, holding back and. Uh, you know, there shouldn't be any vaccine in storage. It should be out and about and in people's arms, right?
1: Well, like politicians should have nothing to do with it, really. I don't know why yeah. it's that way. It's just like, get the army out or whatever. I mean, I started, I was living in, a, in New York, and I started isolating almost as soon as I heard about it because I knew it would be awful. And I had been sick previously for like three months, and I'm like, did I have it? Oh, no. It was just weird. Um, But yeah, I started isolating in the end of January, February, and then in March, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to Toronto.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you were isolating even before the the numbers were getting uh, uh, sizable in North America then?
1: Yeah, because we all knew it was happening. I mean, certainly everybody in New York knew it was happening, and we were, you know, my friends were being careful, and... Uh, you know, I'd be on the bus or the subway, and a lot of people were being careful and, and trying to social distance as much as possible, and we didn't have any masks, so I'd just be like, it was impossible to get a mask, so you just throw your scarf over your face.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, we will all get our vaccine uh, in short order, and we can put this to an end, put it behind us.
1: Well, maybe. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to take a while, because yeah. politicians are idiots, and people are idiots. Yeah. Except for the 50% of people who are not
0: idiots. Yeah, I mean, it's. it's,
1: I love you all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to jump back with one last question about Bjork before uh, we finish and uh, do our final little segment of playing the game of cool, not cool. Okay. Um, What do you think Bjork's most significant contribution to music has been so far?
1: I think just amazing songs that stay with you forever. The yeah. um, visuals, um, the use of beats, um, the use of choirs, and, you know, just her instrumentation. Just all of that is very unique, and her crazy outfits. Um. <laughs>
0: I love the swan dress, by the way. I, everybody thought it was silly. I, I loved it.
1: <laughs> I love all that stuff. And, oh, my God, I also love that movie she did. Um,
0: dancer, Catherine
1: Deneuve. Yeah, dancer. I love I have that soundtrack. I mean, that just broke my heart. <laughs> She's such a good actress, but I, I think it was a horrible experience for her. Yes. Um, which is unfortunate, because she really is an amazing actress. And, um... You know, that song when she's going to get executed, oh, my God.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a tough thing, though, when you have an artist who is uh, particularly st- strong-willed, has her own ideas, and you've got a director who is the same. You know, you end up bashing heads, but you can also end up creating a wonderful art.
1: I know, but uh, I guess it just you don't always want it to be a struggle, and I think it was such a struggle for her. Yeah. I mean, I would love it if she would do some, do another movie, but you know.
0: I think that kind of experience left a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah,
1: eventually. I think it. I think it really did. Yeah. You know, and you're working with some
0: bossy dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's used to working with some bossy dude. You know, she's right. she's her own woman, so that's not going to work.
0: On that note, I'm going to wrap our conversation about Björk and I want to jump into Cool Not Cool, a uh, little game we play where I list a bunch of artists' names and you tell me whether you think they're cool or not. And if you so choose, you can describe why you feel that way. <laughs> Let's okay. jump right in with somebody we've actually mentioned so far Madonna. Cool or not cool?
1: A uh, plagiarist. <laughs> dancing, but it's sort of cool. I mean, you know, she's a big plagiarist. I loved a lot of her videos. I, I love some of her music. I mean, she's worked with a lot of, you know, <clears throat> she's worked with a lot of great creative people. Um, I like the, uh, what album do I like of hers? Oh, Ray of Light. I love Ray of Light. I love that whole album a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen her live, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> um, in her heyday, she was am- amazing. And now I'm, I'm not sure what she's doing. And does she like Trump or something? There's something weird about her right now that's putting me off the whole situation.
0: Um, okay, Annie Lennox.
1: I mean, I met her a long time. I met them when they were just first starting to make it. And I also think that they. You no, know, kind of plagiarized some stuff, but um, mm. but yeah, she's cool. I'm gonna say cool,
0: okay. Sinead O'Connor,
1: crazy,
0: but <laughs> <haunted>. <laughs> can you be cool and crazy? I
1: don't know, I never think of her as cool, but mm.
0: yeah. not even in the beginning,
1: uh, eccentric. I just ah, okay. I didn't think she was cool ever, but I thought she was eccentric and. <laughs> I was scared that she might kill me if I ever met her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Dolly Parton.
1: She is so cool. And what she's doing, you know, as as far as reading, getting kids to read. And, um, you know, we call Moderna the Dolly uh, vaccine. I mean, it isn't really, but we're like, we want the Dolly vaccine. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she invested. Yeah, she invested. Um, but she's always been cool and sweet and kind and what an amazing person, you know. Yeah. Give her an award.
0: Truly. Give her some awards. Yeah. Um, Courtney Love. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you can take the fifth if you want.
1: <laughs> I, she's kind of a train wreck, so I don't know if I would call that cool. I liked some of her music But yeah I'm just going to say Trainwreck Peaches So cool
0: yeah. <laughs> What was um, it like to work with her
1: Great I mean um, We've uh, Done a couple of shows together We uh, She wrote this little rap for My song Lesbians in the Forest And because of that she got us on Transparent which is an amazing experience Um Yeah, she's lovely and innovative, and um, I'm a huge fan.
0: Why don't we hear more of her?
1: Well, the language.
0: Okay,
1: (laughs) there's that. It's very sexual stuff, and they're not going to play it on the radio, but, I mean, but yeah, she's had a lot of amazing song placements, and, and, um, you know, they're not going to play a work on mainstream radio but um it
0: should just be a non-issue by now. Let's move on to Cindy Lauper. Cool She seems to get cooler as time goes on, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, she, exactly, she's uh, if you asked me that a few years ago I'd be like no, not really, but she is very cool and I love what she does for the community and I love her wardrobe, I love how she's aging, um I'm jealous that she wrote a hit musical, but maybe I'll have a hit musical. Um, so, yeah, I think she's cool. She's and very outspoken. She seems like a really good person. I've never met her, but I saw her, God, I saw her years ago when she was just starting out, and she was so different um, at a club called Hurrah in
0: New York. And what what's the difference between Cyndi Lauper then and now?
1: Well, the early Cindy Lauper, I, I just didn't like her... I mean, I think she, she's written some great songs. I just didn't, visually was not, I don't know. It was like high femme, too girly for me. Okay. High femme, clowny. But now, um, <laughs> you know, she just seems like an amazing person, and I would love to meet her.
0: Yeah. Okay, final one. Amy Winehouse, cool or not cool?
1: So cool, but tragic. Yeah. I actually saw her at Coachella and the same year as uh, Bjork and Peaches and everybody. Right. Um, yeah, it's just so sad what happened to her. But what an amazing voice and an amazing artist and incredibly
0: cool. If only we still had her with us and uh, can't imagine the type of music she'd be playing now.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I just, you know, she didn't have a support system. I mean, yeah. that happens to a lot of artists when they get into drugs and alcohol. It just depends on who's around you and... Uh, who's guiding you and or enabling you or whatever. I mean, it's just, you know, that's happened to some of the greatest artists of our time, like like Hendrix and Joplin and Brian Jones and Jim Morrison and yeah. Amy and on and on and on, all those unfortunate people who passed away.
0: Yeah. Um, on that note, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Essence of Cool, you, Carol Pope, are the essence of cool. By the way, I've been Aww. <laughs> you are, and um, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I wish you so much success, and uh, can't wait to see the musical.
1: Thanks, and I can't wait to hear our single.
0: Yes. <laughs> cross our fingers. Actually, cross our fingers that uh, we will have it done and be releasing about the same time we launch this uh, podcast. So that would be very cool.
1: That'd be good. It's kind of time sensitive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we want to get it out ASAP. That's right. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, thank you so much, Carol. I appreciate it. Thanks to Carol for hanging out for well over an hour with us. The Church of Tree single she was referring to is World's a Bitch, featuring Carol and our good friend Rob Pruce. I can't tell you how much fun it's been to work with her. And be on the lookout for the World's a Bitch video, too. You can find out more about Carol, download her music, and donate to her brilliant musical attitude by heading over to carolpope.com. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay safe and please support independent artists.